Good afternoon, everybody. It is Thursday, October 17th, Thursday, October 19th, 2017, uh, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, and this is Admissions Live. I'm your host, Chris Dorso, back in the driver's seat for the first time in goodness knows how long, and I'm thrilled to be back. Uh, thanks to Nicole and Aaron and everybody for holding down the fort. Today's live broadcast, we are discussing the best methods for reaching out to students and strategies that combine digital marketing and social media. And uh, we will talk with uh, our guests uh, and the e-expectations survey in just a moment. Admissions Live is part of the Higher Ed Live Network. Our episodes offer direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Be part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge. Participate in today's discussion by tweeting us during uh, the show using the hashtag HigherEdLive. All of our episodes, of course, free and easy to access in the archives at HigherEdLive.com, or you can subscribe to our Higher Ed Live podcast. Today's episode is made possible by the NRCCUA, which is a membership organization supporting better student outcomes for more than 44 years. Recently, they introduced Encura, its approach to helping colleges and universities make data-informed decisions using predictive analytics and research. Leveraging the Encura Data Lab, NRCCUA members gain access to great tools, resources, and training through a combination of student data and insights, enrollment services, and research and advisory. And you can visit encura.org to learn more. That is E-M-C-O-U-R-A.org. Higher Lives is produced by M. Stoner, a digital-first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. Are you an enrollment management or admissions professional who works with digital content and marketing? Well, first of all, you're in the right place because that's the show. Uh, and if so, M. Stoner's Digital Marketing for Higher Ed online conference is for you. Sessions will address content marketing to recruit students, how to use social listening to identify strategic influencers, SEO, and more, and we were going to tweet out a link to uh, the conference shortly. All right, so on to our guests. Uh, and joining me today are two friends who I uh, had the pleasure of hanging out with last week in Hartford, Connecticut at the Higher Education Web Professionals Association Annual Conference. Stephanie Geyer is the Vice President for uh, Web Strategy and Interactive Marketing Services at Ruffalo Noel Levitz, where she directs website development and e-communications projects. And in addition to providing consulting services, uh, Stephanie Geyer frequently delivers conference presentations about using the web as a recruitment communications tool, and I'm told she is literally fresh off the plane from Anchorage, Alaska to join us uh, here this afternoon. And Gil Rogers is the Director of Marketing for NRCCUA, the National Research Center for College and University Admissions. Gil publishes and presents on numerous research studies throughout the year focused on students' uses of social, digital, and mobile technology throughout their college search. So thanks for joining us, Stephanie and Gil. Hey, Chris, thanks for having us. It's great to have you back in the driver's seat again. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's fun to be back. Great to be here and an honor of seeing both of you in Hartford, Connecticut. I am rocking my Hartford Yard Goats baseball cap. Go Goats. Go Goats. Meh. What is a yard goat as opposed to a pasture goat? We can we can do a Did whole separate show about the yard goats. That's a whole separate topic. We need a mascot show. See, the, the problem with getting me to guest host is all of a sudden I'm back in. Nicole, you're not getting your show back. This <laughs> is all me now. Next month on Higher Ed Live, Matt Watts, what's up with that? The first first guest will be Mr. Met. Oh, there we go. Now we're talking. Boom. That's much more. Look, all right, so anyway, I let's am, talk presentation. I got my no, hairbrush. <laughs> let's talk the expectations. Every year, uh, this is like one of those big pinnacle releases for all of us in higher ed enrollment marketing about what students and families, what they're they're really doing or what they say they're really doing anyway. So uh, so let's talk. Um, Stephanie, I cede the floor to you. Tell us, uh, tell us what we need to know. Yeah, sure. Um, so e-expectations supersized this year because we went after not only students and parents, but sophomores, sophomore students and parents of sophomores. So kind of a new um, data set for us, first year to talk about sophomores to sophomores, and I hope we do it again. Um, and some interesting results I think we'll get to in a little bit, especially around uh, use of paid. Gil, that's your cue. Oh, right. <laughs> I was waiting for the word paid media, no. 
Um, yeah, it's so just to, to be it to to it was it's really great to be a part of the expectation study this year. Um, you know, recently coming to NRCCUA about two months ago. Uh, you know, there's a lot of conversation going on, especially today, about uh, paid media and engaging prospective students. Um, so I'm excited today to t- to to have um, some you know hot take um, discussions about. Uh, about the recent, you know, article in the Chronicle of Higher Education, which also happened to be the same day an article about social media was published in the NACAC Journal of College Admission. Uh, so I guess this this show that was planned about a month ago was perfect timing. We we colluded um, with with a bunch of uh, with the mainstream media of higher education to make sure we had a great conversation uh, today about Facebook advertising. I guess. Uh, but you know, before I, I I think before you know Stephanie and I talk about how we feel about things like sponsor content and social media. And, and I, I, you know, I defer to you, Chris, you, you live in this every day um, in your current job, love kind of your thoughts. And then, you know, what, what you want to know about how the research might influence those, um, you know, the, the current articles of the day. Well, I think, uh, you know, and it's funny that you mentioned the, the NACAC piece and of course the, the Chronicle article and, and all of that. But um, I read the NACAC piece this morning, which is in the Journal of College Admission, and there is a, an interesting takeaway that, full disclosure, Gill is quoted in the article. So, uh, the, Don't discount a- the quality of the article, Chris, please. No, 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 no. I'm just saying full disclosure. <laughs> if someone's like, oh, I'm going to go check this out, they are like, oh, it's just Gill. But no, but so one of the things that I thought was very interesting, uh, right at the, 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 the end of that first section there, it says that social media, uh, one of the takeaways, um, is that social media is not as useful for increasing student awareness as it is for for influencing college choice. And so it speaks to the two sort of major focuses of what we do in admissions, which is increasing awareness, which is you know building of of an application pool and, and an inquiry pool versus uh, college choice. and and once you've got the applications in the hopper and you've admitted students, then that yield piece. And I think, there's obviously a, a play for social media both ways, but students and parents and everybody involved in the process are using the various media in different ways at different times during the cycle. And that's not, I don't think that's news, but I think it's interesting to see how that has changed over time uh, and how, you know, if you are looking at sophomores now, what a, a 10th grader is doing versus what a senior is doing versus, uh-huh. you know, a parent and all those kinds of things. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting yeah. because the you know one of the biggest things that higher ed usually gets bagged on for is the fact that we're always quote unquote so far behind on technology with reaching students and always trying to figure that out, or the cost of higher education is so high and it's driven by all the marketing. You know, you look at the billboards, you look at those sorts of things, and so the the one time that that higher ed gets kind of up to speed with with the current ways and methods and using marketing tools that big brands and and corporations and whatnot have been using for, for years now, uh, it becomes kind of somewhat framed as controversial. And I, I think what's, it's, it's, you know, Liz Gross on, on, uh, put on her blog today, you know, don't shame the higher ed marketers for, for using Facebook advertising, right? It's, I think, you know, if we can utilize, you know, the, the tools and resources at our, at our disposal to be more effective, and measurable with what we're doing, I think that's that's a benefit that we get from using things like custom audience targeting. There's tons of other different methods for using digital media and display across the web, some more effective than others and whatnot. But you know, if, if I, rather than kind of casting stones at digital marketers who are doing what they can to to be more effective and measurable, and if not effective, at least measurable, we should be looking at, you know, how are schools not using data to be effective and measurable? And let's, let's bag on that versus bagging on, um, on, on the other, on the other side. I think there's, um, you know, to frame, you know, digital marketing as some sort of, um, you know, negative aspect, I think it's just a little bit irresponsible in some ways. So, um, especially when we have the data, like Stephanie can speak to, um, on, on, you know, students actually engaging with this content and, and seeing it as a favorable way of, of engaging with schools. You know, nobody stopped to ask students what they thought, but Stephanie did <laughs> and our team did. Right. So, yeah. um, it's something important to, to think about. I, I think one of the interesting data points is um, from the study we asked students how did they find their way to an individual college or university's 
social resources, and a third of them came through an ad. So awesome. Um, I think money well spent. We definitely see traction for students later in the funnel. Um, and so I, I think that those ads make sense. And other data that we asked about uh, paid, they're definitely uh, leaning toward clicking on paid ads in social and display and good old Google um, for institutions that they already know something about or perhaps have already visited in person or on the website. So I agree. I don't understand the flap um, and having just been so close to Russia in Alaska, um, they don't seem to care much either. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I think you know, you, it it speaks to the fact that social media, the transition that social media has undergone in the past uh, two or three years, even. And so, back when social media was was sort of the wild west and advertising first started. Uh, it wasn't as tailored and it wasn't as targeted as it is now. And it was basically the equivalent of slapping up a billboard on the side of the road and sort of hoping somebody would stumble across it. But, you know, to Gil's point, it, everything is, the data points are so deep now that it's very easy to get really focused, targeted messaging to people that you are already trying to target and it seems silly not to especially when you drive along and you see billboards that just sort of advertise to anybody and everybody and again that speaks to that balance between using social media for search versus yield and enrollment and, and doing different things with it so yep and it and to add to that, it's interesting. And outside of the e-expectations research last year, you know, we did some research and earlier this year on perceptions of advertising. Um, and it, it's interesting because students are more likely, and this is tweetable, somebody should tweet this, students are more likely to have a positive reaction than a negative reaction to school-sponsored content on social media. And I think a big part of that reason is because it's rel it's it, because of its relevance you know you're taking a list of students who you've modeled who you've you know really focused on and said these are the types of students that that we want to reach whether you're using you know your 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 in-house predictive model or smart approach predictive model or whatever it is you you have your list of students and you say these are the students that I want to focus on you're you're going to have a much better reaction when that message is well matched than if a stu if your if your message is just broad and all over the place, and that's where the technology within you know within Facebook's advertising platform and others you know Facebook's the only one mentioned in the article, but there are plenty of other ways to do you know list loads and, and identify your audience. You know retargeting is one of them. You know others. So, but if your if your content is more is going to be more well received when it's well matched to your prospects, um, and that's and that's yeah. why you know it's it's not that big of a deal. And I think um, some of the deep dive that we've taken recently in the data is showing that different kinds of students are using social channels in particular to get different kinds of information than we would expect. So we've always thought that uh, prospective students using social to get stuff about fit. And that's certainly borne out in the study this year. But in the crosstabs, we saw that uh, students from first generation college homes, so their parents didn't attend college, were more likely to, significantly more likely to be looking for information on application process and how to afford a school than their counterparts. So these kids don't necessarily have the support that they need at home, and I take it, hopefully, um, you know, all with a grain of salt, but I take it to mean that they are scrambling and scrapping for every bit of information that they can get in every channel. So why wouldn't we give it to them? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, if you've, that's, it's a smart way to do it. And it's, it's very nice of the Chronicle to, to, you know, we sort of jokingly called it, I mean, every headlines clickbait these days, but you know, to tie it into the same, the quote, the same techniques that the Russian hackers use. Well, that's, that's Facebook advertising. That's what it is. And whether you use it for good or bad, it doesn't, change the the logistics of what it is and if you're well i mean it does but at the same time 
Yeah, I, I think the biggest. <laughs> I think what so many no people have to with. I've been I've been following it on Twitter and whatnot the past you know twenty four hours or or so. The biggest issue is that is that comparison, right? Because the the comparison is in, is is intent, right? In, on one end, you have you know a, a government messing with an election in a in a in a foreign country. On the other hand, you have colleges and universities who are inherently you know have a have a have a good mission, right? Focused on trying to inform and educate prospective students on why their institution might be a good fit for them. So intent is, you know, is a huge part of all of this. So, you know, having that comparison, it's, it's just a, it's an interesting, I mean, like you said, it gets headlines, gets, gets us talking about it. Up until yesterday, this was gonna be a whole, a whole talk just about the e-expectations report. And now we're talking about the Chronicle, right? So, um, you know, it's mission accomplished from an attention perspective, uh, but it's, it, it, I, I do applaud, you know, the authors and, and the editors there for, for at least pointing out the tactic. So maybe somebody might now start having conversations about, hey, why aren't we doing that, right? Um, and, you know, Chris, before the show, you had a really good kind of quip about about email and and not using specific channels. Um, right? Are, would you be able to share that with? Yeah. The, I mean, and, and I, as I said, I, I want to say it's something that I that I said on the show at one point where you know the the whole email is dead thing that pops up every every report that you that you see uh, that debug despite every report that pops up that you see that debugs it. Uh, I'm happy to invite all of our competitor schools to stop using email. They are welcome to stop at any point. And <laughs> you're right, it's dead. Don't worry about it. Turn off the rest of the show. You're good to go. But it, like, there's that's a piece of it. And and as much as we try to sort of take what we do, like the the ideals of what higher ed is and, and the the noble purpose and the mission and all that, yeah, I get that. But at the same time. We are trying to reach students, and in a lot of cases, we're trying to reach the same students as other schools. And if we can get stuff that that they're looking for, and that we know they're looking for in front of them, we're kind of foolish not to, I would think. Absolutely. I think one of the things that um, still astonishes me happened in 1991 when I started working in higher ed. And I was the first person with marketing in their job description at this wonderful small private university. However, on my first week of employment, the president took me aside and said, hey, it'd be great if you didn't use the word marketing. Well, guess what? We are sales and marketing professionals trying to get students into the right institution. And there's nothing dirty or slimy or used car salesman-like about that. That is a good and noble mission. And so to demonize any kind of marketing that helps further someone getting into the right school and helping them succeed, that's nuts. That's not okay. Yeah. And, and by the way, I lasted about six weeks before I busted out with the marketing and the faculty caught fire and it was awesome. <laughs> I, I think, you know, and I maybe put a bow on the chronicle part so we can dive into the research. I don't know. I mean, we can talk about this for an hour, but, um, you know, Chris, you mentioned earlier about the, you know, the early days of advertising online. It was just like putting a, ban a billboard on the side of the highway. Um, we have we have no problems putting billboards on the side of highways and we yeah. don't have conversations about those investments with with respect to outcomes because we always say, oh, it's it's not just for student recruitment. It's for, you know, the community. It's for faculty. It's for et cetera. Then then why does that money come out of the marketing budget? Right. Like that. That's the you know, when we think about how we're investing our efforts and resources, I, I have no problem with billboards. Like if you want to have a billboard, have a billboard, but don't. It, like like Stephanie said, don't demonize marketing. Don't demonize aspects of marketing, especially when they're proven to be more effective. They actually influence you know student perspectives and and behavior, and are more measurable than your billboard off the highway or your airport or your benches or your rap bus or whatever it is. Um, so it's so thinking about those types of things. It's you know when we're when we're thinking about building a digital marketing plan, it's about reaching the right student, right, with predictive analytics and your models, et cetera, with the right message at the right time with the right channels, right? And that's a lot of rights to get right. <laughs> so it's how do we, you know, how do we, you know, and, and social media advertising is one of those channels in a swath of other channels that that you can use to leverage and connect with students. So uh, it's just important to remember those things when you're when you're building out your plans. 
Um, so I, yeah, that's all I've got, that's all I've got to say. Yeah, no, I I think that's good, and it, it does sort of segue into the research and and what what sorts of things came out of e expectations itself because you know social media over the course of the last ten years has gone from the wild west to hey this is free let's do it to okay we can actually do this in a constructive way that makes sense and now that we've got yeah, some sure. data that can justify that like now we can start to really make important decisions and it's not just slap a billboard but let's put the billboard where the students are that we're that we're specifically trying to target yeah and i'll just throw in um looking at the data on paid ads again recognizing that the primary channel students were using was google but the second highest especially for seniors was facebook um that 47 percent of seniors clicked on paid ads then it moves up to juniors at 55%, 61% of sophomores have clicked on paid ads for schools already. So I think that tells us that we're onto something good and right. And when we look at the kind of characteristics of their relationship with that school, between 10 and 15%, that very small number, said that they'd never heard of the school. So it's not necessarily kind of a big cast a wide net uh, resource to introduce yourself to strangers, but mm -hmm. building relationships with institutions that are already in your backyard or perhaps already on your list. Yeah, and to add to that, I think that what, what that says to me is that those type, from a tactical perspective, those ads are likely retargeting ads because They've heard of the school before mm -hmm. the nature of the fact that they've been on your website or your Facebook page if you've gone that far or a custom audience list where you had to have identified the students who you've already sent, you know, you've, you have your highly modeled students that you've already sent traditional kind of legacy communications to. Now what digital is doing is supporting conversion and yield. And that's a that's a huge element to all of this is and I, there's other research that shows that, you know, students are this is this is going to be no brainer type stuff when you hear it. But students are more likely to respond to a brand that they're familiar with than a brand that they're not familiar with. Right. Just like consumers. Right. We're we're more likely to to, to do the same thing when whenever it's a buying decision or whatever it is. So a if you if from a tactical perspective, if you have let let's say you do your your you know this is a big time of year to start buying lists or start thinking about buying lists those sorts of things, you buy your list of of data from whatever provider it is, and you know model that data and say here's my top half pro of prospects based on our model score. Let's do an, an integrated campaign to that includes a, a a mailer includes emails because you know. To Chris's point, email's not dead. And uh, Stephanie, we have a lot of data on on how students find stuff on your website, which is interesting too, with respect to email. But on top of that, layer a digital marketing campaign that starts in alignment with when those other things start to happen. Now you start to see an opportunity for your click through rates to go up on your on your digital media because students have seen your content, and response rates go up to your legacy communications because students have seen your digital media and now it's starting to reaffirm that logo on the on the return address label, right? So this is a great opportunity to say, you know, it's not either or with, with respect to activities, it's an and. And it's how do we combine these types of strategies together to support support better outcomes from the, the top of the funnel all the way through, you know, when the when the when the butt's in the seat and the head's on the pillow on campus. So I'd throw in there too, it's also working well for decision influencers because parents are clicking on paid ads as well. And like the uh, student group, parents of sophomores clicking at a higher rate than parents of seniors. And the same kind of uh, focus on schools that they're aware of that they've already visited. So to Gil's point, again, retargeting probably in play and, um, you know, less so going out and clicking on links for places that aren't already on their radar. Sorry, I forgot to turn off my phone in my office. So, all right, so um, we'll do it live. Definitely, let's we'll do it live. I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait a minute, why is my phone ringing? That's not right. Hang on a second. I'm trying to get that. It's a student calling you to yell at you about advertising them on Facebook. Yeah, no, it's a colleague who does not know that I'm trying to do a live show and I can't unplug my phone. All right, so Stephanie, I'm going to unplug my phone. I'll uh, th throw another data point at us and we'll chew on it. 
Yeah, so um, here's my pet peeve about um, our friends in higher ed using paid. A lot of them are still not thinking strategically about what they're putting out there. They have really weak offers or the click um, enticement is apply today, which is, you know, like somebody taking you out for a Starbucks and then asking you to marry them. Um, and so we're seeing engagement uh, being led by simply looking at some website. And by golly, if you are doing paid and that click leads to your homepage, I'm coming over there because that is a huge waste of money. You need landing pages. You need to be shaping and curating. You need to be thinking about clustering programs and really targeting students, prospective students and decision influencers like parents um, with something substantial about your institution. Maybe it's a collection of programs. Maybe it's a unique value proposition that you have but then get them to return your investment on that payment by getting them to tell you who they are, filling out a form to get an e-deliverable offer, or maybe even using a tracked phone number and um, getting right on the phone with somebody from campus. Much more effective, measurable, and um, just makes so much more sense than saying, well, I'll let them, you know, figure it out from our homepage. We just redeveloped it. It'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. To add to That's that, I mean, when we do, I, I agree with you hundred percent, Stephanie. I think when we do, um, you know, digital campaigns for, for partners, it's, um, you know, thinking about like a transfer recruitment study, right? They might want to geofence their top 20 feeder community colleges, which is great. That's a great strategy. You should do that better than a billboard off the highway by that community college. But the, I'm going to bag on billboards the rest of my life until they're gone. Okay. Um, the, but you know, when you have the, um, the, when that call to action is apply now and it goes right to an application form, you're at, when you're doing geofencing, the majority of your impressions are going to show up on a screen this big, right? And it's mm -hmm. going to be very hard for, and I have one of the older phones, so my screen's a little smaller than what they're coming out with now. But the, it's, your conversion on those types of campaigns is significantly lower because what are people doing when, think about what people are doing when they, when they engage with an ad on a social network or an app or whatever it is. They are checking the weather, they're checking sports scores, they're swiping through their feeds, checking on what's going on with their family and friends. So when they do click that ad, they're likely to engage with some, you know, some interactive content, but then they're going to click away and they're going to go back to their daily lives. They don't want to submit a request for information form immediately. The bigger win, and there's other, there are ways to track this with conversion pixels and, and all that sort of stuff is to get that student to click your ad and then later return back and do um, another desired action, register for a visit, start their application, whatever it is. And we, the technology exists, call it a little big brother admissions, but the technology exists to be able to track those types of engagements and those types of outreach across devices, right? So leverage that technology when you're, when you're setting up these types of campaigns to be able to prove outcomes on the investments because just an ad that closed right to a request for information form or an application is going to have very low conversion. Whereas if you track that broader kind of storytelling element, the long tail of engagement, you're going to see you know much better outcomes from a, from a campaign. We, we've been doing a lot in that area and the micro engagements um, just amplify what you can measure and what you can learn and then to make incremental changes in those campaigns. It's so juicy and and really um, makes the result for our clients that much more effective. Gil, you said Chris, something. you want more data, don't you? Yeah, no, the, the, Gil said something that gave me a thought and I'm trying to figure out how to, to formulate that thought, but like it sort of to talk about sort of what you both just said. I mean, it, if you're going to put the time and effort and money into targeting, uh, with advertising, it seems silly to waste that on a homepage. And I know that it requires a little more work on the back end to have, whether it be landing pages or or targeted things. But uh, you know, to Gil's point, the, the technology is there to do it smarter, and the schools that are doing it smarter are the schools that are going to do it better. Uh, and that it makes everybody's jobs easier. And it goes back to what we said earlier, it's, it's, 
it's the the there's no reason not to there's nothing yep. sliding about it it's it's proper it's knowing your audience and reaching your audience in a way that makes sense yeah and, and this might be a good time a good pivot to maybe talk about text messaging too because that's a, a great point on that is i i think that the the biggest challenge with a lot of this stuff is and I, I could be completely wrong. I'm, I usually am at least half the time. But um, if the the the, op, the the propensity is is to treat any type of outreach where you can reach a, a volume a mass volume of students like a search campaign, right? And an old school search campaign was you go out, you buy your list of data, and then you send everybody a, a brochure, right? And Eventually, we figured out that that was that was a, a very the, the conversion was so low it was a huge waste of money. We have to at least do something to be a little bit more strategic with it. So we added email, right? And email is more cost effective than a than a than sending every student a brochure. So then we use our predictive models to prioritize who gets the email, who gets the letter, who gets both, that sort of stuff. And that's great. Uh, but when we if we try to do the same thing with a with a text with a with an with a digital media campaign and just say we're going to send everybody the same message and we're going to drive them to all to the same page that's a that's treating digital marketing like a traditional old school search campaign and it's just like text messaging right now like we have so much and Stephanie I'd love to share the data on on texting but we have students are kind of now open to texting but nobody's doing it because we're afraid of treating it like an old school search campaign, which I think is almost better than doing it and treating it like an old school search campaign. But there's, there's opportunities there from a, a you know, if we're, if we're talking e-expectation, we're talking digital texting is, is, is still digital. Texting is quite, yeah, digital. it's essential. What, what did you and, find texting? Yeah, they're totally into it. Um, I'm just searching around through the endless, the expectations decks on my desk, but um, they've it's been above 50% for five years. This is not a new drum we've been beating in this study, yet institutions are still so squeamish about getting started. And I hear the argument all the time, well, nothing is being taken off my plate, so how can I add this in? you know what, I think we need to give up that notion that things are going to be taken off your plate and find ways to coordinate, collaborate, and keep things moving forward that are measurable and successful. And I think texting is going to be so. So um, seniors and juniors, 68% said that they were open to it, and 62% of sophomores said yes, yet... 82% of seniors, 88% of juniors, and 89% of sophomores said that they have yet to receive a text. Now, I know, you know, part of the issue is opt-in. You've got to have it for blast texts. Um, and a lot of institutions are still struggling with the fundamentals in their request for information form. Getting that opt-in when they're collecting mobile numbers is just the way to go. We also asked about social messaging, and I thought that was interesting. Almost half of the sophomores said that they would be willing to converse with a school through, you know, something like Kik or WhatsApp or even Facebook Messenger. I, I don't know how to say it more emphatically. Texting needs to be a part of the communication flow, the plan, the engagement. Um, it's, it's just well beyond time yeah what do you, i mean you sort of alluded to it that you know it, uh, whether it be a cost thing or whatever like why is it that schools are not taking advantage of texting yet because you're right the data's been there for i feel like we've been talking about texting for years and it, everybody's got their own sort of comfort level with it i suppose but there are plenty of software solutions out there now that make it easy and make it manageable and you know, it's not that you're giving out your personal cell phone number to students. It's, right. <laughs> it's all tied in. Well, I, you know, I think one of the barriers has been uh, CRMs. And that barrier seems to not be a viable excuse anymore. So CRMs in the context of having the um, engagement that happens through text messaging recorded in a student's contact record. But oh gosh, that's just not an awesome excuse anymore. It just needs to happen. Um, you know, whether you go with a third party or if you can do it through 
uh, Salesforce or Slate or you know any of those uh, categories of CRMs now are really stepping up and making that seamless and integrated. So it's just time. Yeah, parents and, are and also okay with it too. Sorry, um, just to say it, especially parents of seniors at 69%. So if you're going to get after text messaging, um, get the parents in there as well. Yeah, and to add to that, I think that you know part of it. Part of it could also be hesitancy to use it inappropriately, which again I think is better than using it inappropriately, um, because then you're then you're going to start you're going to poison the water in the well with respect to a channel students are open to using. But you know if we think so, I guess the best way to think about it is. Students are most open, and there's other research on this on, on this topic. Students are most open to text messages that are reminder based, that are that are tied to an expected outcome, right? If you're going to text a student, give them give them something meaningful to do, right? They signed up for open house, great. Open house is on Saturday. Text them, you know, the day or two before. Just a reminder: open house starts at at nine o'clock parking is in lot D, right? Like that sort of stuff. Or, Hey, you've submitted your application, but you know, you, you still have missing required materials. Click here to, 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 to see what's missing. That sort of stuff. You have that this, 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 this capability and technology is not, is not new. I, I I've been on the, you know, the, I'll call it service provider side of the desk. Cause that V word is a very bad word that I've been on the service provider side of the desk for a while now. And when at, you know, we, we would do a, a text message campaign to open house registrants saying, Hey, reminder, open house is on, is, is on Saturday, see you at nine. And the, when we started doing that, we saw our show rate increase by 20 to 30% of open house pre-registrants from no show to show. Uh, so there's, you know, it's texting is a great add on to your strategy if done appropriately. And it's about not treating everybody like a search campaign, not, not, Hey, learn more about Stony Brook. It's, Hey, you've applied to Stony Brook. You're missing a required thing or you're missing your FAFSA or whatever, right? Like those, those sorts of things are, are way more impactful and necessary, uh, to have, you know, positive outcomes from that channel. Yeah. yeah I, I think I that agree. to the, uh, the, the point of it, like, you know, when, when you're messaging your, if you're texting, if I'm texting my, my son, like it's, it's about something, a particular piece of information that I'm looking for or whatever. So why wouldn't we do the same thing for our students? If there's a particular piece of information that is important for them to know. Yep. And parents, parents are into it too. And when we look at the data about what kinds of texts they want, I think Gil's right on the leading, the leading option for both parents and students was deadline reminders. Don't let me mess this up. Help me partner with me. They're not looking for positioning content. They're not looking for warm fuzzies. They're looking for how do I get this done? Keep me moving through the process. That's easy stuff. That's not like, you know, coming up with a massive campaign of messages that is, Hey, what's coming up on the calendar? Let's help them get through this process. Yeah. And, and what's the, so you said that the parent, their perspective is don't mess the, don't let me mess this up. What's the percentage of students submitting applications on behalf of their student? That's good. That's what I was going to say. That. Oh yeah. yeah, totally. It was 62%. Was percent yeah. The, the, the sorry, I stepped on you. Go ahead, Stephanie. No worries. 62% of parents said that they had submitted an application on behalf of their student. Yeah, almost two thirds. The name Chris's face was small in the corner there because that was I'm great. Horrified by that, but you know what? It, like, but that's knowing that stat. Like, why aren't we messaging parents? I. Uh, uh. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I have a confession to make. So um, while I was away this week, I was talking a lot about my uh, middle daughter, who's a junior in high school now. And it occurred to me, I was talking a lot about her, but I hadn't actually been um, acting on my plan to help her get ready to choose a college. And so signed her up. We're going to, uh, I think, CSU on Friday the 27th and CU on the 30th. So I think I'll have some more tales to tell when I get back from those experiences. Add Stephanie's daughter to our recruitment <laughs> database. Okay. Good. Perfect. I've got, I've got, 
I've got East Coast family. They would love to have her over there. That would be awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. And um, can so we keep our course at your house? Because that would be like that would seal the deal. Sure, the we, horse can uh, your backyard. Awesome. Totally cool. Um, so we're already 40 minutes in, so I don't want this to take our entire afternoon, although it certainly could. There's plenty of stuff to talk about. But um, one of the other uh, things that came up when we were talking about the e-expectations specifically uh, last week at Hyatt Web was uh, that students are searching, and again, I don't know if this is news, but searching for they're finding your school by searching for your school with their major attached to it. So they're looking for the school and biology or whatever. So they're going into second and third level pages that like, forget your homepage, as much as you may have redesigned your homepage, that's all fine and good. But like, what does your bio department page look like and how is that impacting enrollment? And it's one of those things that we've been talking about for years. Every page on your site is an admissions page and that the data once again bears that out. Yeah, I mean, I think that gets into a lot of issues. The obvious one is search engine optimization, and uh, we've just been doing a boatload of work with schools across the country, really focusing on those academic program pages. They're the new front doors, and the data that we have, nearly half of juniors and sophomores and their parents, when they go to a search, after branded search, the next highest is um, major in program, sometimes in combination with the name of the school, sometimes in combination with location. So I want a nursing program in Anchorage or I want an equestrian program in Colorado. Um, so you need to be thinking strategically about that, about the markets that you're trying to recruit from and the unique value propositions of the program. The other challenge with uh, optimizing program pages is sometimes our darling faculty don't always name their programs in a, a conformist way with their competitors. And I understand that, that's okay, but it also sometimes doesn't line up with what the user expects to have a program name. For instance, years ago I worked at a school that had a communications major. Well, guess what? I was a communications major. I, I, had emphasis in journalism, television, and public relations. But for that particular institution, the communications major was communications disorders, which is not the same thing. So we need to unswivel that or untwizzle that um, when we're thinking about SEO. Yeah, and you know, a similar story. I used to work at a school that had a communications program, except they called it media and communications, which you know, back in the days before the internet, you know, students would go to the table at the, at the college fair and they'd look under C, or maybe they'd look under J. Uh -huh. They weren't looking under M for, for media and communication. So, but even on the basic level, like be where your students are going to find you. And that's, again, speaks to everything we've been talking about. You know, if they're on, if you're, if you're able to reach them in a way through social media, there's no reason not to. Absolutely. All right, so any other key takeaways that we should be looking at? Uh, I got one question on my um, personal Twitter. I know I was being rude sometimes looking in the upper corner because that's the that's where it is, but um, about Facebook use. And I think it, it if we, we'd be remiss if we didn't for at least a minute talk about um, that misalignment between you know general use and day-to-day -day use of social media as well as um, you know appropriate for college information. And you know, I, every year, you know, Huffington Post comes out with an article that's, um, you know, Facebook is dead to teens, or you know, Facebook is, or you know, email is dead. I mean, email's been dead for a decade, like you said. Um, so it's, but the 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 thing, the reality here is that there is there is a there is a difference between what students use day to day for engaging with their friends and family, and and what they use to look for college information. Uh, and one of the, I think, one of the great things that has been outlined in the in the e expectations report is, is you know this visual understanding of there's you know daily use things like snapchat for example are and instagram very popular day-to-day -day for college information or for for daily use rather but for college information they're towards the bottom with respect to where students go to actively look for college info and facebook while sliding on a day-to-day -day overall use 
is actually the top or amongst the top for looking for college information. And part of that, part of that's a trained element, right? We've, you know, we've kind of figured out the whole half first half of this conversation was about advertising on Facebook and how we're using Facebook to reach students. So if students know that they can find an official presence on, a, on Facebook for a school, whereas most schools haven't really thought of or done Instagram or, or, um, or Snapchat completely as well yet. So there's, there's a little disconnect there, but it's also just think about what students are doing. You know, the visual platforms like Snapchat and Instagram are very in the moment, right? Maybe instead of having your day-to-day -day presence there, have that be when students are on campus, have a Snapchat filter that they can take a picture by the, by the statue, not just general broadcast advertising. So one of the really important things to look at is, you know, Facebook, Facebook is not, is surely not dead. There's data that shows that. And again, like you said, if you, if you, if you believe that, then take down your Facebook page and stop advertising to students on Facebook because Chris will continue to do it, right? So it's, yeah, shut it down, shut it down. <laughs> but, so, but it's about being where students are and understanding that you don't have to have a Facebook and a Pinterest and a Snapchat and a YouTube and everything. You, you need to be awesome where you know the students are and maybe have more of a listening strategy in other places. So it's important to, especially things like Twitter. Like Twitter, Twitter is where college admissions people connect. We go to conferences and we use hashtags to connect with each other, that sort of stuff. But we don't. But we use Instagram and Facebook to connect with students. Um, so just important note to to think through with with the social platforms. Yeah, there's um, you know, I was kind of hoping we get the Snapchat. It was on my list of, of things to talk about because I feel like every year it's like, oh, okay, Snapchat here here we go again, and uh, you know, figuring out exactly where that lies and what the best use of it is. And Snapchat's fallen in a funny place because we talked about how schools are using all of the data piece, the data pieces that come with Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram to a certain extent. And Snapchat doesn't give you the same mm -hmm. sort of data pieces. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. uh, we did a, a Snapchat filter for commencement uh, for the first time. We got extraordinary engagement, which I kind of figured we would. You, yeah. But but the, the question then came up, well, you know, who were those students? Like, who, who who used it? And we didn't really have as good a handle on that as we wanted to, I think. And so much of Snapchat is manual and, and kind of figuring out what's what and really being on top of it all the time that I think it's, it's still scary for schools. Yeah, yeah. And, and thinking about, you know, six, seven years ago, and that number keeps getting bigger, which is sad, but six, seven years ago, maybe even more, there was a new social network platform every year, right? Every day, every five, every five weeks, it was, oh, you got to be on this. You got to be on that. You got to be this. We, we got to try these. And that's cool. Let's try to be an early adopter to have a presence on these platforms. That's, that's awesome. But that mentality for a couple of years there kind of hung on to, to, to Snapchat as, oh, well, we got to figure this out. And from a, there's, Snapchat has some great current student, you know, students graduating perspective, uh, you know, engagement perspectives, real time content planning has to go into it. But it's not your, I would say, like, it's not going to be your your day to day engaging with prospects platform, you know, so it's, they always have to have that distinction of there's Snapchat for day to day, there's Snapchat for current student and, and you, know, you know, campus event engagement, and there's Snapchat for prospect engagement. And that's just a different bucket. And if we're talking admissions and recruitment marketing, you're going to use Snapchat more when you've got a student there on campus and use it as a value add to the experience. Don't use it to try to cultivate new prospects uh, because that's just not, you know, based on the research, it's just not where they're going to be um, at least this year. You know, again, all this stuff can change next year, but uh, this, you know, to inform your decisions today, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, being on those is going to be better. Yeah. In, in our social practice, we'd like to encourage pilots. Chris, I think you're trying to gain control of this and really No, not at all. I just like I need to go home at some point. So <laughs> I love you guys though. Um, but I think that like the, the Snapchat if done well uh, can be fantastic. And like we've seen Beloit do it very well. Uh, Wisconsin mm -hmm. Green Bay uh, presented uh, at High Ed Web and did a, a great pilot. Uh, with uh, admissions notifications. We did a little bit of that last year. And so there are certainly are ways to do it. Um, but it was uh, Tim Neckert from Oswego uh, a couple of years back uh, at a conference. You know, having a Facebook is not a goal. It's always goals before tools. And much the same way, having a Snapchat is not a goal. It's what are you trying to accomplish? And then is Snapchat or Instagram or Instagram stories or whatever, you know, does that reach the goal that 
that you're trying to reach. We did get a question, though, that I'm going to um, uh, ask you all to address. Uh, that came from uh, Karen Jolie. Um, if students start to watch the news on Snapchat with the update, how long will it take them to look for college info there? And, and you know, does there come a point where they do start to look on Snapchat for the kinds of sort of general marketing messages? Yeah, I think it's chicken and the egg. And so I think as more institutions are dipping their toe in, um, students' expectations uh, and comfort level, I think it's the larger issue. You know, years ago, we were chasing students into the dark corners of using email to market to them. Seriously, one of the first questions in eExpectations 13 years ago was, can we email you? And it was a mixed bag. So now the dark corner seems to be, hey, we're chasing them into Snapchat. And I think as it happened with Facebook and with Twitter, some institutions like yours, I applaud you, um, are getting in there, trying it out, hopefully measuring carefully, learning from mistakes and miscues, and and beginning to build traction and content strategy around that particular tool. I love your distinction between goals and tools. That's spot on. All right. Well, we are just about out of time. Any last thoughts or comments or anything really obvious and awesome that we missed? Hey, I'll just throw out that we are in process planning 2018 e-expectations, and you can use our hashtag, um, so hashtag e-expect, to get to us and pose questions that you would like to see in our upcoming survey. I hope you will. Fantastic. Well, I thank very much, uh, Gil and Stephanie, for joining me this afternoon. And I thank Nicole and Aaron and uh, Ashley and the team for welcoming me back. Uh, and uh, I really, uh, this has been a lot of fun. And I always love the expectations every year. And I hope we'll, uh, we'll chat again uh, this time next year or thereabouts when we'll be talking about all the new things that are happening. So as always, uh, keep tabs on us at higheredlive.com, and uh, we will always continue the discussion uh, on Twitter, uh, any place you can find us. And uh, we thank you all for watching, and see you all next time on Higher Ed Live.